Welcome to the DEI Uncorked Podcast, where we will look inside the bottle and inside Winebo at its diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are going to get curious, ask questions, and learn from each other. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Cole. I'm the Director of Fleet Services based out of Illinois. I'm excited for today's Uncorked show as we honor and educate ourselves on September's Deaf Awareness Month. I'm here today with my co-host, Nisa Anderson. Hello, Nisa. Hello, Brian. Hope you're doing well today. Uh, my name is Nisa Anderson. I'm the sales administrator from California. I'm actually going to hand off today's co-hosting duties to the Winebow team member that brought us this great topic, as well as introduce today's guest, Jennifer Breedlove. Jennifer, please tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce our fantastic guest. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Breedlove. Very happy to be here. Um, I'm a portfolio manager in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm honored to introduce my very dear friend, Dr. Michelle Ludwig. Michelle, we really appreciate you making the time for us in your busy schedule. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much, Jennifer, for having me on today. Um, I'm really excited to share a little bit about um, some topics that are very important to me. So um, I am a radiation oncologist, which is an oncologist that treats um, cancer with radiation treatment. My specialties are breast cancer and gynecologic cancer. And um, I um, have been profoundly deaf since the age of two when I had uh, meningitis and I lost both my hearing, about 90% of my hearing, um, and my vestibular system, which is the system that helps you balance. So um, I had to learn how to uh, lip read, how to speak again, um, and how to walk again. And it's been um, kind of an interesting course navigating um, the medical field and um, especially COVID-related challenges with my hearing impairment. So um, looking forward to being able to share a little bit about that today. Thank you so much, Michelle. I've learned so much from you. Um, when talking about hearing your, your deaf uh, profoundly deaf experience, what are appropriate terms in the deaf community and how do you personally identify? So that's a great question. There is um, deaf with an uppercase or capital D and that is used to describe people who identify as what we call culturally deaf, meaning they are actively engaged with the deaf community they share a common culture and usually have a shared sign language, um, American Sign Language. Um, they typically prefer to use sign language and that might actually be their first language. Um, the deaf with a capital D, um, people usually attend schools and programs for the deaf community. So deaf with a lowercase d just refers to the physical condition of having a hearing loss. So uh, people that are deaf with a lowercase d um, perhaps don't use sign language, communicate with speech, um, and do not identify as culturally deaf. Um, hard of hearing is usually used to describe people that have kind of a mild to moderate hearing loss. 
um, and most of these individuals do not um, typically use sign language as the primary communication method. Um, hearing impaired is another term that is often used, but a lot of people in the deaf with either lowercase or capital D community find the term offensive because of the term impairment um, in there. So um, I think most of the, um, most people refer to it as deaf, lowercase d, deaf, capital D, or hard of hearing. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, and actually, I've learned some things. I didn't know that there was uh, a difference between uppercase deaf word and lowercase deaf word based off of uh, you know what people identify as their first language or their second language or uh, the ability to um, have uh, sign language as well. So that's I appreciate you educating us and anybody who's listening on this podcast as well. Uh, our next question I have in uh, ableist language. What are some of the terms that we should avoid and can you explain why? That's a great question. So I think there are a lot of um, ableist language um, descriptors that just kind of sneak into our normal conversation. Um, and I have actually started um, speaking up about this. Um, I read the newspaper every day, the Houston Chronicle, um, and I've actually emailed um, the journalism team for that and the Washington Post a number of times for using ableist language um, and encourage them to rethink that. Um, the one that I usually speak up on is um, the term falling on deaf ears, um, which implies that a person that um, is hard of hearing or deaf or deaf is a capital D is um, would be intentionally ignoring somebody. Um, but there's a, a lot of other terms that we kind of um, use, um, the blind leading the blind, um, or lame, like, oh, that's so lame, um, or um, anything along the line of crazy or psycho or OCD, um, because those are um, medical conditions. Um, and um, uh, crippled, um, things like that. So um, I think it's something that's not really talked about, but now that I've mentioned it, you'll probably start um, hearing that used and um, just kind of reaching out and saying, hey, maybe we should use another term instead of that um, to be, be more thoughtful about um, individuals with disabilities. You know, those are great points, and I think that some individuals may say some of these things in their daily conversation and not realize how this could be hurtful language and how could it affect some individuals. Yeah, I appreciate you, Michelle, mentioning things other than what you actually deal with as a deaf person um, that you can you can call to our attention. Um, so at Wymo, we're striving to be inclusive interviewing you for a podcast that may not be accessible to the deaf community brings to mind accessibility in other mediums that hearing able people may not consider. In your personal world, how do you find yourself navigating differently than say your friends or your husbands do? Well, um, I, I think I'll answer that question kind of from a workplace and then from um, personal world, but um, 
so right now we're on Teams, and Teams um, has open captioning as part of that platform. So I usually prefer that my meetings be held on Teams. Um, Zoom, depending on who hosts the Zoom meeting, may or may not have captioning. Um, but unfortunately, my institution has chosen not to enable the captioning features for um, Zoom meetings because of potential concerns that it could violate um, patient confidentiality by the way that it does the captioning. Um, I don't really understand why that's the case because I know other academic institutions um, have enabled captioning for Zoom. But what that means is if I have a Zoom meeting that I have to log in and then I have to be sitting by my caption phone and then I have to have it call my phone. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, I was supposed to lead a meeting. I thought it was going to be on Teams. I found out at last minute it was on Zoom. Um, and I was actually about five minutes late. And because I was late with having to log in, my boss ended up just leading it for me. Um, so I lost that opportunity for leadership and I prepared for the meeting. So, um, and then I had another meeting that was um, the same scenario, um, even though I've requested multiple times that it be on, um, on Teams. Um, and somebody uh, um, expected me to be taking notes. And now I don't know if you've ever tried to write and read at the same time, but if I look down to write my notes, then I missed the next line of captioning because the captioning is only like one line at a time. Um, so I was late turning in um, something after a deadline because I didn't have the notes and somebody else expected that I was going to take them, even though I said in the meeting, hey, I can't take notes. Um, so, you know, just, just little things that um, make it a, a lot more complicated. I can't drive and be on a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting because I have to read it. Um, so things like multitasking is a lot more challenging. So I have to have um, a babysitter or a morning nanny come um, in the morning and help because I have um, tumor board from seven to eight every morning. Uh, but I can't do that while I'm you know, driving my kids to school and read what's going on in the caption. So um, I think all of this requires a lot more effort um, to be able to participate in and then that would be part of my job. So you kind of talked a little bit about your uh, career um, and kind of the difficulties that you have with being able to have the right programs to be able to see the dialogue that's going on through the conversations. That was kind of my next question. So maybe I might switch it a little bit and uh, ask you how it has affected you um, in your your path to becoming a doctor in the school and that you've uh, gone through. What are some of the difficulties that you may have encountered that somebody else uh, may not have, some of your fellow student or fellow peers? Well, I, when I went to college, I didn't think I was going to be able to get into medical school because everyone said, well, you can't do the, the heart and lung exam. You're not going to be able to listen to the heart, listen to the lungs, blah, blah, blah. And so 
I went to pharmacy school instead. And I thought, well, you know, I'd be able to do most of what I would have wanted to do in medicine. And then I decided to apply to medical school and um, actually was able to get um, a special stethoscope made that would work with my hearing aids and, and kind of be able to, to help me hear the heart and lung sounds. Um, I had a couple of people when I interviewed at different medical schools um, express concern. And I brought up my disability in my personal statement talking about how um, it's helped me learn resilience and things like that. Um, and I've ha had a couple of people express concerns about it. But um, overall, I was able to kind of navigate through that. The biggest challenge in medical school um, and then during COVID was um, in the operating room when people wear a mask, which makes it impossible to lip read. Um, and now they have a clear plastic mask, but when I was in medical school, they didn't. And then, in so during COVID, um, when I was at work, it made it really hard. And I would have to say, you know, multiple times a day, you're going to have to pull down your mask so I can understand what you're saying. Um, and after saying that about the 80th time a day, every single day for three years, um, it's just, it's hard. Um, and so COVID was, COVID was a lot of things for a lot of people, but it was particularly challenging for me because typically, um, after I explain, hey, you have to put on your mask so I can hear you, people try to just yell, um, which does nothing except stress me out more. Um, and, you know, that just kind of kept going. So um, I think those were kind of some of my main challenges. But now in the operating room, we use a clear plastic mask. And I guess now that I'm in charge, I'm the one that's doing most of the talking. Um, instead of most of the listening. So that's a little bit easier. Um, and um, then in my clinic, my residents and things were still masking because I'm an oncologist and my patients are all immunocompromised. So um, my residents and things like that are able to wear a clear mask. So that makes it a little, a little easier. Um. I'm going to jump in, Michelle. One of the reasons why I wanted you to be on this podcast is because you have such an amazing way of illustrating things with stories and providing visuals. And one of the examples that you shared with me before is the spoon example. So um, talking about having to tell someone 80 times a day to remove their mask, um, getting on you know, not being able to multitask that in a car with the meeting that so many of us are able to do. How does that, can you use that spoon example to tell us um, how that, how that affects, you know, your, your energy level, your, your daily life? Yeah. So the, the spoon theory is a really, really um, good metaphor that talks about the amount of physical or mental energy that a person with a disability has available for daily activities and tasks. So let's say you are given 12 spoons a day. And um, as you complete 
each activity, um, you get a spoon taken away. So, you know, for example, um, let's say I go to a conference. Um, so I went to a conference during COVID because I had to present something um, and spent quite a bit of time, you know, trying to make sure I sit in the front of the room. And then a lot of the speakers were still wearing their mask and people were trying to talk to me. And um, and so it, it took away more spoon so that by the end of the day, when I still had, you know, dinner and, and uh, evening activities, I would just be out of spoons. And so you have two choices. You can either be done with your day then, or you can borrow spoons from the next day. Um, but then that leaves you short the next day. Um, and so as an example, so I'm getting ready to go to a conference next week in San Diego. Um, and it's a, it's a big conference and, and um, I have to go, I have to present, but um, it, the spoon theory is something that I really have to be thoughtful about and be gentle with myself because about day three of the conference, I'm, I'm done. I get migraines, I'm tired, I'm cranky um, because it takes so much effort for me to um, go through the daily activities of going to that conference that somebody else might be able to to kind of get through a little more effortlessly. So, uh, Michelle, the best way for other able people to be inclusive to people in the deaf community, both personally and professionally, what is that best way? Oh, wow, that's a pretty broad question. Um, so I think deafness is a little more common than we think it is. So about 14% of the population in the US has a hearing impairment and only one in five people that have a hearing impairment are adequately aided, meaning they have adequate hearing aids in order to help. So I think just recognizing that this is a little more common than we think and doing things like send if you have a meeting sending an email summary of the meeting with action items um to make sure that if somebody was um you know didn't catch everything on the meeting um making sure that our training videos for a company have closed captioning um making sure that um captions are available for for our platforms um uh, I think, you know, from a company, um, those are kind of some of the, the things to focus on. But but really, again, just making, being thoughtful that it's a lot more common than we think it is. Um, and very often for older adults, it's such a gradual loss that they don't actually notice it. Uh, I'm sure all of you have um, older relatives that you've gone into their house and noticed that the TV's on uh, for blast. Um, and, you know, maybe they didn't notice it. Um, and things like putting the captions on their TV for them or being thoughtful about facing somebody when you talk to them because people, a lot of people really live with more than you think you do. Probably a lot of people thought about this during COVID when you realize it's a little bit harder to understand people when you can't see the, their face. Um, 
and so I guess that would kind of be be my thought. Yeah, I like the example that you gave um, a couple of questions ago when you were talking about how COVID had impacted you and the fact that everybody was wearing masks and that kind of took away the ability to read people's lips. And I kind of felt the same way too. And in building that personal interaction with people during the time of COVID, you're not seeing their face, you're not seeing their facial expressions, and you're not able to read the lips to kind of supplement the conversation that you have with, with them uh, when they're speaking at the same time. So it's really interesting you, you bring that up as a point because it's uh, crazy how COVID has impacted people in m many more ways than, than just the uh, the common things that we are seeing with uh, the, the illness that happens for 14 days. It's a lot more impactful than just that. Uh, now I got one more question. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with the world of Winebow? Any takeaways or any questions that you had wished that we had asked you during this podcast? So I would be remiss if I didn't mention my hearing service dog. So I have my second hearing service dog. Her name is Pam. My first hearing service dog was named Marguerite. And most people probably haven't heard of a hearing service dog, but um, what they do is um, alert to sounds. So the dog is trained to um, have a formal alert, which means they tap you on the leg and take you to a sound. And then when you get home, you train them to which specific sounds you want them to alert you to. So for example, um, I want Pam to tell me when my phone rings, but not when my husband's phone rings. I want her to tell me when my alarm clock goes off, but not his. And so, um, there's a, a lot of kind of work at home, but before I had my first hearing service dog, I would be, Marguerite, I would be on call for a week at a time, and I wouldn't sleep at night because I'd be afraid I'd miss a page. And, oh, I'd, I'd sleep, but, you know, it would be just kind of like dozing off, but it wouldn't be like real sleep. So by the end of the week, um, I didn't feel so good. Um, and so when I finally got her, it was like, oh, you know, I can relax. I can, I know if I'm, that I'm not going to miss if somebody um, knocks on my door, like a package delivery. Um, I, I couldn't join a wine club um, before I had a service dog because you have to sign for the delivery. And I would miss it. So that was one of the first things I did after um, I got Marguerite was join a wine club. Um, but, um, you know, being able to wake up at night um, and not miss that phone call is, is really critical. Um, so I'm really grateful for Canine Companions. I'm actually on the national board of the organization. And they have been providing service dogs for individuals with disabilities for over 40 years. Um, so I'm really excited to be part of that organization and, and grateful for um what they provided me thank you michelle um i do have one more question for you what is your favorite varietal of wine hmm favorite varietal um i do like a fanfare um i'm a huge fan of saint francis uh, because they are partners with uh, Canine Companions, um, and they do a lot to um, help support Canine Companions. 
Um, and I'm also a big fan of uh, Gary Farrell, um, the winemaker there, the woman named Teresa Heredia. And um, she became a winemaker at a time when I think there were probably weren't very many female winemakers and um, have been uh, a big fan of her work. That's awesome. I think one of those brands may have maybe one of ours that we distribute currently. At least one of those. Well, uh, Dr. Michelle, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on our Uncorked podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And Jennifer, of course, also thank you for joining me as our guest co-host today. Thank you. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed being here. Um, I do want to say that we've learned from this and this podcast will be transcribed and going forward, all the podcasts will be transcribed and available to you. And we'll be going back and transcribing the previous podcasts as well. Um, thanks so much for having me and thank you, Michelle, for joining us. Thank you both. Well, we've really enjoyed this discussion. I appreciate you representing and informing the world of Winebow more about deaf awareness. We've learned so much from our guest speakers and always enjoy, of course, learning from others. I hope we can continue to educate ourselves and others on all things DEI. Remember, Winebow, your voice matters. This is your platform for the world of Winebow. Who do you want to hear from and what topics would you like us to discuss next? Reach out to any of the DEI members and let us know. This is the DEI Uncorked Podcast. Let's continue to look inside.